Welcome to the Waymaker Fireside Chat Podcast, where our purpose is to grow your life and change the world. In this episode, we're sitting down with President and CEO of Intran, Sharita Mae Edwards. Lewis Carr is the founder of Waymaker, the Lewis Carr Internship Foundation, the Blueprint Men's Summit, president of media sales at BET Networks, and author of Dirty Little Secrets. Sharina Mae Edwards serves as the president and CEO of Intran, a leading energy infrastructure company. Today, she'll be sharing her insights regarding the power of education, changes to the energy industry, and the importance of Waymakers. Let's get started. Hi, I'm Lewis Carr and welcome to the fireside chat of Waymaker. Today we have as our special guest, I'm super, super excited, super excited to have Sharina Edwards, CEO of Intrend, to be our guest today. Welcome, Sharina. Thank you, Lewis. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Oh, thank you. Uh, Sharina is one of our, as I was talking before we came on the air, one of our A students in our community because she runs an energy infrastructure company. And uh, it's one of those fields that we all hear about, but we don't know a lot about, but she's gonna educate us all today uh, about what her company does, what she does as the CEO, and how she got to that position, her career path. So thank you so much for being willing to share with our audience today, Sharina. Again, I'm very honored, I'm excited. Thank you for all that you do and for really allowing people like me to stand upon your shoulders. You are one who has reached a great level of success, but you did not stop there. You turned around, you made sure that others were elevated, were lifted, you set that elevator back down and I aspire to be who you are. So thank you for having me. Thank you. So tell us about Intrend and uh, what the company does. Uh, so sort of uh, in, in layman terms, all right, so that we'll all be able to understand. Absolutely. It's so funny because um, I probably explain this in layman's terms more than any other because nobody really understands what energy infrastructure is. But um, so what we do, we are a company of about 2,200 people um, across the nation and we build um, the infrastructure for utilities. So here in Chicago, right, we have ComEd, we have People's Gas. If you were to go outside of your house, look up, naturally you'll see a transmission line and that transmits the electricity, it brings the power to your house. Um, we build that, my company builds that, we you know, procure it, we update it, we um, restore it in the event that it is out. When you have an outage and you call ComEd and you think ComEd is coming to restore your power, ComEd is calling us saying, we have 100,000 people out of power, you know, restore that power. So we have our customers or um, utilities across the nation from coast to coast. We are, um, you know, we have PG&E out west, Duke Energy out east, all of the Exelon subsidiaries, including ComEd, which is a significant customer of ours. And we aim to not just uh, get out there and build, but we really um, aim to power the lives of all the consumers in the nation. And people take for granted, right? You only realize power is a thing when you don't have it. When you have a blackout, you notice that electricity is important to you. When it's winter and your furnace is not working, you realize gas is important. But our goal is to ensure that utilities can provide you the power and the services that everyone needs to live so that they don't have to think about it. So, Sharina, you are a HBCU trained lawyer. How did you get into energy? 
Absolutely. So yes, I did uh, receive my Juris Doctorate from Howard University School of Law, very proud, um, you know, Bison Law graduate. And I practiced law after graduating. I practiced law for about four and a half years. And I received a phone call in mid-2013, um, maybe it was the top of the, the year, 2013, from the governor at the time, it was Pat Quinn, from his chief of staff. And he said, you've been recommended for a position on the Illinois Commerce Commission to serve as a commissioner. And at the time, I didn't fully know what that was. But after doing some research, I realized that was the state body that regulated all of the um, energy and utilities in the state. So natural gas, electricity, water, sewer, telecommunications. And I, um, after going back and forth, and of course, speaking to some mentors, I came in and said, you know what, I, I want to do this. This sounds great. So I left my practice to move into this regulatory um, role as the commissioner of the Illinois Commerce Commission. And it was a five-year term. And during those five years, I mean, the best professional years and most rewarding of my life. And I learned so much. I learned about the industry. I learned what exactly it means. I learned the different stakeholders in the industry and realized that I don't think I want to leave energy. This is just such an exciting um, arena and an industry in which there are so many emerging issues. And it is the future. When you think about what is the epicenter of the global economy, it is truly energy. So I wanted to be right in the heart of it. And um, when I finished my term in 2018, I went back to private practice and I was um, an energy regulatory attorney. I was a partner at Quarles and Brady. And I did um, regulatory strategy for utilities and energy organizations, a little bit of crisis management, strategic counseling. And I was probably there for about two and a half years. At the same time that I was at that firm, I was um, asked to serve on the board of directors of Intrend. So that is how I really got immersed in the business of this company. And then once um, my predecessor announced her departure last summer, she said, I think you need to be in the search. You'd be fantastic. And of course I had my moment. I did have my imposter syndrome moment where I said, I don't know. I don't think I can do that. I don't know. I don't have operational experience, but I went into the search, you know, eyes wide open, eager to show them that, that I could do it and what I didn't know I would learn. And I was selected um, for the role. So I started in September and here I am. So it's, it's interesting that the company has had two females back to back uh, as their, their leader. Uh, what do you think that says about uh, the company culture? And what do you think that says about the industry? You know, I think that, so it's interesting. Intran is certainly an anomaly, right? Yes. Um, and, and I will point one thing out. So we were actually just acquired um, by a publicly traded company, a phenomenal company uh, called Moztech. We were acquired in May. Prior to that, we were owned partially by, um, by the founder of the company, Loretta Rosenmeyer, and partially by a private equity firm. Because the founder was a woman, we were a WBE. So we were required, the company was required to have a female CEO. So I want to note that. I don't know, okay. there are not any other um, major utility infrastructure companies of this magnitude that have female CEOs. So I do want to note that, but I, I do want to also give a nod to the founder of the company, what she envisioned, what she started back um, about 33 years ago, and what she has done, not just for women, but for this industry and show them that a woman can belong and a woman can not only belong, but can really soar and excel. Um, it has been, I think, prolific. And so I, I you know, give a lot of kudos to her because she was there in the, in the, you know, in the 80s when it certainly wasn't, I mean, I walk into a room now and people are looking at me, but 
back in the 80s to see a woman in this industry, she got no respect at all. So I think it says a lot about her grit, her determination, and I'm honored to continue her legacy. But yes, I and I am. So there were there was the founder, there was my predecessor, um, and then there's me. And I am the first um, Black female, but I am honored to be the third female leader of the company. Well, congratulations. So we here at Waymaker believe that no one gets on a success track without a Waymaker. So would you call those women a Waymaker for you? Absolutely. I certainly do. I think that when you what you define as a Waymaker is often, and I love that term, often how I think about sponsorship and Lewis, how so many people don't recognize that it is not only is it invaluable, it's necessary to succeed. It's necessary to excel, to get uh, above where you are. And so waymakers, I believe, see things in yourself that you don't necessarily see in yourself, right? They can see what you're capable of. They can see your excellence before you really can confirm it. And then they push that and they talk to other people and they sponsor you and they speak about you know, all the wonderful things that you can do. And I do believe that both of them were certainly way makers for me, in addition to many other people, but yes. Well, we, we, we thank them for what they uh, intentionally did for you. So let's go back. Uh, you went to two HBCUs. Uh, tell us about that and how did you make those decisions, Spellman and Howard? How did that happen? This is my favorite thing to speak about, particularly Spelman. Um, I am such a big, proud Spelmanite. I talk about it in every conversation that I can possibly squeeze it into. One thing you will know about me, you may not know, you know, what I do for a living. I may not say that I'm, you know, a CEO, but you're gonna know that I'm a Spelman graduate no matter where, that I, where I am, I'm so proud. But, you know, for me, it started with, um, you know, my, my upbringing. And honestly, I just wanted to be at a place where, you know, I grew up in a predominantly white neighborhood in New York, Long Island, New York. And I really wanted to be um, somewhere where people, I wanna be with like-minded people. I wanted to be where a place where people didn't think it was odd, you know, for me to have my head down in a book and for me to wanna to do great things and for me to want to be a lawyer. And I heard about Spellman. actually, um, I watched The Different World religiously growing up. And I thought that that was Spellman. <laughs> my husband and I go back and forth. My husband is a Hampton graduate. So, you know, he has this thing. He's like, that was Hampton. And I say it was Spellman, but whatever, we digress. So I looked at that and I said to my mom, I really want to go to Spellman. I was in eighth grade. And she said, okay, well, in a few years, we'll go visit. I said, no, I really want to visit now. <laughs> so we went to visit and I was clearly there on the right weekend. I think it might've been like the Friday before homecoming. And I just could not believe it. I was like, oh my goodness, look at all these amazing African-American, bold, beautiful women who are here educating themselves. And that was it. If it was up to me, I would have applied to one school, but I was not allowed to. So I applied to multiple schools, but my heart uh, was at Spelman. And when I got that blue envelope on April 1st of 2001, I was elated. And my experience, I think, as a leader uh, was really nurtured at Spelman. It was there that I walked in and I like to think of it as thinking about, you know, my capabilities and my conviction and my confidence as a young woman, right, as a 17 year old walking into those gates, thinking about, you know, all that made me nervous and walking out thinking about all that I could do. I was a different woman. I was just pumped up. And I feel like with a Spelman woman, because you can, they, they have an expression, you can always tell a Spelman woman, 
which is so true. But I feel like with a Spelman woman, you let people know, you don't just walk across the room, you let people know that that room has been walked through. And I learned in those four years what executive presence was. I learned what it meant to, um, to be confident, to be, um, and not just to be confident and be to, to ensure your success, but then once you reach success, to make sure that other people could get success as well, right? That you open doors for other people. And um, Spelman is such a large part of my, um, I think professional upbringing, it was my foundation. And I owe it a great deal. That institution is just one that is phenomenal. And then, yes, I did um, then continue on to Howard Law. And I did not plan that. You know, hindsight, sometimes I wonder, you know, oh, wow, did I, did I make a mistake going to two HBCUs? But I don't have any regrets. Both of those institutions educated me incredibly well. But not only that, not only because I, you can get education anywhere, but it was just that support system, that sense of nurturing, that sense of a village that you cannot get at every school. And for that, I'm immensely proud to be both a Spelman and a Howard Law graduate. So not to get off this subject, but I've got to ask you this, how important are HBCUs today? And in this particular environment in which we are dealing with still two pandemics, one COVID-19 and the other one racial inequality in this country, how important are HBCUs today? They are unequivocally important. Um, and as I mentioned, we have an HBCU household here. My husband went to Hampton and we are constantly finding ways to pour back into not just our HBCUs, but also um, students who, who aspire to attend HBCUs. The, again, the support system, the nurturing, these are institutions that were cultivating leaders, doctors, lawyers, engineers, African-American leaders um, since before it was cool to be okay to be you know, to, to be supporting Black people. These are the institutions that open their doors to educate us when we could not get into any others. And that same, that same grit and resiliency that they had to teach back then, they still do. And I think that it is just emphatically um, significant to have them, particularly in a time like this. You know, I heard somebody say the other day, well, you know what, since we're in this post-George Floyd era, and now that everybody is embracing diversity, is it really necessary to feel the need to go to an HBCU? And I just cringed. I said, but all the more important to go to an HBCU because you need to have these leaders who are nurtured, supported for these four years that can get out and be change agents in this world to continue the conversation of diversity. You know, there are so many of our young people uh, at this particular time are really a little confused about uh, going to school and uh, really continuing their education. Uh, what would you say to young people in our audience who are a little confused right now on whether they should continue their education or whether they should not go look for a job? Speak to them for a moment. Absolutely. You know, and I do a lot of mentoring, particularly on the south and west sides of Chicago. And what I say, and actually, I just was a keynote speaker. I was a commencement speaker um, for Chicago Technical Academy about a month ago. And what I said in that speech and what I say to the students that I mentor is that it's very simple. Education is your key. It does not matter what your zip code is. It does not matter um, what your upbringing is like, but education is your key. It's either your key to um, elevation it's your key to success, it's your key to betterment, but it is your key to um, a whole new world. And I think people, you know, there are people who pontificate 
back and forth about is college for me. I actually hate to hear that. And I hate to hear people say, well, college was not for him. No, education is for everybody, right? How you go about it could be different. You know, whether that you're in a four-year school, a two-year school, a trade school, but education is for everybody. So I think that people need to realize that in the, you have to think of the short-term game and the long-term game. You know, are you trying to set yourself up for success in the long-term? Then it's very clear. But some people think about, you know, I know that people went, I know some people who went to school for four years and they're a teacher now and they're not really making any money. Everything, if you think about it, everything that builds upon education leads you to nowhere but to success. And I think it's, I think it's something that we really owe to our community. The only way that we can come and be change agents and be, you know, the change that we all want to see is if we're continually educate us that we can come back and make those types of changes. And so I am the biggest proponent of, um, of higher education and access to it because a lot of people don't, don't have that access. Great, thank you for that. Tarina, uh, I'm, I'm a driver that, uh, as I said, I, I rarely use my rear view mirror. I, I keep my eyes focused on the windshield. So as you look through the windshield of the energy industry, what type of opportunities do you see for women and do you see for minorities as you look in the future in the industry? Yeah, this is a great question. And it's something um, generally our industry is grappling right now is a labor shortage, right? We don't have the people you know, to do the work. And I know that something um, you, know, you and I have spoken about previously is the fact that there are so many jobs and so many opportunities um, People may be very familiar or, or not that familiar with um, President Biden's infrastructure plan, right? His infrastructure recovery plan. But there is so much work there. You're talking about a trillion dollar plan to build out, to do essentially the work that we do, right? To build out, to provide the support for more people to have access to, um, to water, to electricity, to gas. And only those types of things can be done with people to do them. And I think that right now, people think too, I think energy can be an intimidating industry because it's something that's so unknown. There's a lot of mystique around it, right? You don't really know what it means. Like, what is energy? You know, you're like, I know that people talk about a sun and you think about solar, but truly it is such a broad industry, but any role can fit into it, right? You think about accountants or economists or um, lawyers, even people who are, um, you know, HR professionals, there is literally a role for everyone to, to fit into the puzzle piece. But I think what's fascinating in that in the, in the next, I would say two to three years, we're going to see a shift, right? A shift people are focusing more on renewables. So that means that more solar and there's a lot of work to be done there. There is a lot of, um, think about wind, right? There's a, a lot of wind in order to get wind. And for those of you who don't know, wind tends to be in the West, but it has to be moved from the West to the East. The transmission lines that we build move that, right? It moves the wind. It, it allows us to have that kind of renewable energy. And so we can't do that with a shortage of workers. So again, it goes back to that education piece. It doesn't matter what kind of education, if you decide to go to a trade school and maybe you want to be a lineman, who by the way, make a significant amount of money, but maybe you wanna be a lineman. There's so much work and it's a lineman's world right now. We're probably at a 40% shortage of linemen in this industry. So- um, Sharina, so tell us what, what a lineman does. Cause I know a lot of people go like, oh, she said somebody make a lot of money. What, what do they do? <laughs> 
right? So alignment are exactly that. So you look at the power lines, they um, climb the lines to, to either restore the power, to maintain those power lines. They are doing the work. When you see you're driving and you see, you look up and you see a little bucket with men in there, um, those are linemen. So it's a very high risk job, but one that is very lucrative and one that a lot of people don't know about. And from a diversity standpoint, this industry is, is void of, a, of diversity, right? There are not a lot of women. Um, there are 13%, I think the statistics a couple of years ago were that there were 13% of women in the energy industry and about 6% of African-Americans. So let those numbers resonate with you. And um, we are seeking diversity. This is just, it's such a great rewarding industry to be in and certainly one that I think that can attract and, and can be, um, I think very rewarding for, for diverse individuals, particularly African-Americans. So if a person is, let's say 17, 18 years old, uh, getting ready to graduate from high school, uh, what would you suggest is the path or the blueprint for them trying to get in the energy business? What sort of direction should they take in your opinion? So it's two, so let's, let's take two paths. The first one could be your traditional path where let's say you go, um, you decide to go to a four-year institution and at that institution you can, people think generally, oh, I have to be an engineer to be in, in um, energy. You don't, but you may want to be an engineer. You know, you would then focus on math and science classes. But what I'm telling you is go to, go to college and do well, right? Go to college and do well in whatever it is that you want to do. You know, if you want to, um, you know, do an, be an English major, be an English major, because there's opportunity for journalists and energy, right? A lot of writing, reports, things like that. Um, go to college, do well. And then after that, I would seek opportunities. People forget about those windows in between academic years. So when you're doing internships, I would seek um, internship opportunities at either um, public utilities commissions, like I mentioned, the one that I, where I work, there's one in every state. I would, there's a, a, a ton of government entities that do energy work, the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission. A lot of the utilities now offer um, internship opportunities. I know that ComEd has a phenomenal, here in Chicago, a phenomenal internship program. They bring in about 30 to 40 um, college students every summer. I know many people have participated in it and have learned about the industry. So most utilities do that. I would definitely um, seize the opportunity to have an internship. And then um, I think that's a good entryway. I would say the other track is if you know, you're know you saying, I don't necessarily want to go to a four-year institution, maybe, and I talked about that trade, right? You maybe want to get a trade. Maybe you want to get into the, you know, into the um, unions and you want to pursue being a lineman. Then I would definitely seek um, CDL certification or do any of the lineman certification classes, which now, Many, um, so ComEd is offering this. My company has an intern infrastructure institute where we are bringing in um, those who are interested in being certified so that we can get them integrated into the um, organization. And a lot of community organizations, the Chicago Urban League, many of the urban leagues across the country are now partnering with utilities to um, help pipeline them uh, with particularly diverse individuals because there's such a lack of it in our industry. That's great, great, great information. And are there any uh, organizations that people can sort of follow up with or, or join with to sort of know, learn more about uh, the industry? Yes, absolutely. So um, there's an or a great organization called ABE. It stands for um, uh, Ameri sorry, American Association of Blacks in Energy, ABE. So A-A-B-E dot 
org. And that's a great one. They have constant information. It's a national organization. They have chapters locally. Then there's also, um, I would say, an organization called um, NARUC, the National Association of Regulatory Utility Commissioners, NARUC.org. So those are different websites and they will link you to, um, you know, other organizations and, you know, job sites and things like that. Great. Thank you. So let's, let's go to, to your other job, uh, a wife. Uh, mother, uh, how do you manage it? You know, there used to be a time in this country where the question was, can women have it all? Can they have careers? Can they be wives? Can they be mothers? Talk about how you've got it all and how you sort of manage to hold all that together on most days. On most days, exactly. <laughs> so you talked about my other job, but it's certainly my most important job. Um, you know, I so I am married. I just well, not so much just anymore. I guess in October, we'll be celebrating our sixth wedding anniversary. And um, I have a three-year-old daughter who is very sassy and has lots of energy, way more energy than me on most days. Um, you know, so I will say that to answer your question, can, can women have it all? The question is interesting, but this is how I answer it. And I got this from a mentor of mine. You can absolutely have it all, but not at the same time. And I think that now that we have moved away from feeling like we have to be these super women, these power women, having all this pressure and immense weight on our shoulders, um, it's now okay to say that, you know what, I cannot do it all every single day. And so that for me uh, means that I try to be really present in what I'm doing. When I'm running a um, $600 million company, I am all in, right? The stakes are really high. There's a lot of pressure there. I'm all in. I'm trying not to be distracted by, you know, things outside of that. When I'm home with, when I'm with my family and with my husband and with my, my daughter, I try to be fully present and not thinking about what's going on at the office. Obviously there's a lot of crossover and that can be difficult, but for most days I try to do that. Um, I also, you know, I've learned that I have to, that it is okay. Like I remember back in like when my mom was raising my sister and I, it was like a badge of honor to say that you did everything yourself, right? And I think even now and then I get a side eye from my mother when I tell her like, oh, the cleaning lady is coming now. <laughs> She's like, what? <laughs> Why? <laughs> you can't do that on your own. And the reality is I probably could do it on my own, but you know what? Every minute that I am doing something that I, it's taking away from, from my family, it's taken away from my husband, from my daughter. I'd much rather be able to, you know, spend the time with her and love on her and be here, especially in those pivotal years and certainly with my husband as well. So I have a village that is so important. I call them uh, my sister tribe, Lewis. It is so, so important to have um, a village of people. And I can't tell you, I remember a time earlier this year where um, Mackenzie is my daughter and we were trying to apply for her to go to, for preschool. And so I don't know what happened. I'm very organized, but it was, we were preparing for the acquisition and I missed the deadline to apply for our number one school. And I just, I mean, talk about a loser mom moment. I was like, who does that? Who forgets the most pinnacle, you know, moment in your child's foundation of education? Um, so I, you know, I was telling my friend and she says, you know what, don't worry. She goes, reach out to the school and tell them and see, you know, see what they say. You're only, you know, a couple of days behind the deadline. So I did, and they said, we'd love for you to still apply. Well, I was inundated. When I tell you my sister trap stepped in and they were like, who has, who's question one? Who's gonna do question 
too. So it's going to help you with questions that um, helps me get it in on, you know, um, at, at the extended deadline and all is well, you know, she's um, now going to be entering preschool there. So I have to say, I rely on my sisters um, a lot and they can rely on me too. And, and without that, one of my best friends lives across the street. I can't tell you how many times I've said to her, hey, can I just bring Mackenzie over for a second or I'll have her kids. We, we support each other. We're all very busy, we're successful, but we, um, we, we have each other and we, we do rely on each other. That's great. So now I'm gonna to move to another job that we all have uh, as executives. It is that this job of being a way maker and paying it forward for those who uh, seek to be in the pipeline to be our replacements or uh, to expand the industry. Tell us about that job uh, along with the other ones we've named so far. How do you do that? And, and, and who are you being a way maker for? I think that job, um, Lewis, is probably one of the most important. Can, can you hold on a second, Sharina? I think we may have lost more. Yeah, my internet went out. Okay, so are we still being recorded or not? That's what I'm confused about. Hold on, I'm jumping no, back so in. I'm using my hotspot on my phone. When she left, oh, Lewis, so inconvenient. I'm so sorry. When she left, she, it, the she left it. So the host went to me. Yes. So then it's still recording because I can see in the top left it still said recording. Oh. Okay. Sorry. So sorry. Thank, Thank you. you. So we'll just, Keith will have to do some editing on this. Okay, Laura? Yeah, yeah, that's fine. We got it. All right. So we're, we're, we're on, I think like uh, Serena, your third or fourth job that you right. have as an executive. And, and that is sort of making sure that we create a pipeline and we create opportunities for others. That's our waymaker job. Absolutely. And Louis, I think one of the most important jobs, because again, if you're not making a way you know, something that you and I spoke about is there are people in this world who, who are very successful and they sit in their success and they don't, they're not interested in making sure that others are successful. They're not interested in turning around and reaching to pull someone else up. And all that means is everything will end with you. And we can't have that. We, and I grew up with this. My mom said this all the time. It doesn't matter, you know, how many degrees you have, what title you have, how much you make. But if you don't turn around and make sure that at least two people are sitting where you are or better, you are not successful. And I think that that's something that we as Waymakers have to, we realize that. You know, I talk a lot about the sponsorship and mentorship and coaching and the fact that you want people, I'm already thinking about, well, who, who else can be here? Who else can be in my role? I hate, say, I hate hearing Sharina is, you know, the first black or Sharina is, you know, one of the only, it's old. I want others. I don't want to be the first and the only. I want others. And um, that's why I think that cultivation of new leaders and cultivation of others, um, particularly other diverse people, it's significant. And it is, um, it's, it's our duty as leaders, I believe. So Sharina, I, I ask a lot of our guests this question. If you had a dinner and could only invite four people, who would those four people be and why? And they can be dead or alive. If they're dead, we as Waymakers will bring them back. So who would the four people be at your personal dinner? My personal dinner, I would certainly have my mother there 
because she has been, she is the reason for my, truly the reason for my success, the, you know, support she's given me, the sacrifices that she's made throughout her life. Um, my father died when I was in law school and she has just been amazing and, and just phenomenal, right, and, and support. Um, the other one would be my daughter because I want her to see, I want her to be exposed. I want her to, to understand and to appreciate significant opportunities and to be learning uh, through experiences. And then my true guest of honor would be Michelle Obama because she is just dynamic. And, and one of those that she is a pourer, she continues to pour, she continues to give. And I feel like that, that dinner would be the gift that kept on giving because not only would my mom be inspired, Mackenzie would see this very aspirational dynamic woman who she now knows she can be like, and I would just be fed all around. So that would be my dinner. You got one more. You could invite four people. So your, oh, I can invite your mother, four. Okay. your daughter, so, Michelle Obama, who's the I'll tell you who my, um, I'm not big, really huge into like, I don't get, you know, fan uh, crazy over celebrities, but I have a corporate celebrity crush who is just, I just want to meet her. I followed her for years. Her name is Roz Brewer. She's now the, um, you probably know Roz, but she's, she went to Spelman, of course. She's the current chair of the Spelman Board of Trustees. She's now the CEO of Walgreens. And I just think she is dynamic in every single way. So I, um, she's my dream mentor. So she'll be there. <laughs> oh, well, that, that, that's great. Now, tell us, what would you tell your 21-year-old self leaving Spelman? What advice, when you glance back through the rearview mirror, would you give your 21-year-old self as you were leaving Spelman? But you probably left Spelman at what, 20 or 19 or 20? <laughs> I left at 20, but, um, but that's so funny. You know, this is easy for me. It would be let it go and just enjoy life. I feel like I've always been that person with many ambitions since I was little and I was always focusing on what's next. Okay. Check what's next. What do I need to do next? And the just enjoy the ride, right? It is not life is short and moments are shorter. And when you're constantly thinking about what's next, you're missing that moment. So that would be my advice. That's great, great. Now, how can people get in touch with you? How can they follow you? How can they find you? Because we don't want this just to end here with this podcast. How can people sort of find you and uh, follow your career and reach out to you? Absolutely. So I'm on Instagram at, at Sharina Edwards. I am on LinkedIn for those um, people who like to keep it more so strictly business. I am, you know, visit our website, intrend.com to learn more about um, the company that I'm leading and more about this amazing dynamic leadership team because it is not just me that works. We, we have a great team there. Um, I think that's it. And one final question, which comes first, Serena? Vision or desire? Vision. I believe vision, yep. Tell us why. Well, I think that you have to set, you have to have something to desire to be, right? Desire to want. And once you set that vision and you have it clear in your head, um, I think then you can desire it in whatever way in the path to get there. Totally agree. Thank you so much for this. This has been amazing. Uh, I appreciate you uh, speaking to our Waymaker audience. Uh, we look forward to continuing conversations with you down the line. And thank you for all that you do for the 
energy industry. Thank you for all that you do for HBCUs. And thank you for all that you do for the city of Chicago. And congratulations. And we are looking forward to great things out of Entrant and especially with you as their leader. Thank, thank you. you so much, Lewis. It's a pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to this conversation between Lewis Carr and Sharina Mae Edwards. What did you enjoy about this episode? Let us know on our social media at Waymaker Culture. Don't forget to claim your first six months of the Waymaker Journal free at waymakerjournal.com. And be sure to enter the Waymaker giveaway by going to waymakercontest.com. Subscribe to the Waymaker Fireside Chat podcast to get notifications each time we release an episode.